The following shiur is presented by Dayan Shlomo Cohen, Dayan in Beddin Ahavat Shalom in Yerushalayim, an author of Pure Money. For more shiurim or information, please visit vshc.org or call 1-844-200-TSHC. That's 1-844-200-8742. Hello everybody, this is Rabbi Shlomo Cohen with the shiur on Parshat Shalach. In this week's Pausha, we have the famous Chet of the Maraglim. The Maraglim were sent to check out the land of Israel, to see how to conquer it, what the land is like. And that is legitimate. That's something that every army would do before they're going to conquer a land. They would send out spies to look out the land and to find out the best ways to attack and the best ways to go in. That's legitimate. That wasn't the Chet. The Chet of the Maraglim was that they made a decision. They made a decision for everybody. That wasn't asked of them. They were there to give the information as to what the, what the situation is, how the land is laid out. But not to decide whether we're going to go in or not go in. That's already been decided by Hashem. That's the reason of coming out of Egypt. Of course we're going in. The question is, how are we going in? Right? That was what the Meraglim was supposed to be doing. But they took their job a little bit further than it should have been taken. And they decided they're going to decide whether it's right to go in right now or not. That was the Chet of the Meraglim. But from this Parsha, we see some important points about leadership. Yeshua ben Nun and Kalev ben Yifuneh, they were the two Giborim, they were the two outstanding um, people that managed to go against the grain. While all the other Nisim were saying that it's no good and it's not going to work and we should give up, these two people decided to stand up against everybody else and say what they thought to be right, even though it seems that it was an unpopular opinion at the time. Because that's the purpose of a leader, not to say what's popular like our politicians today that are just looking for the popular opinions to get themselves voted in. But what's right? That's what a leader is supposed to stand up for, for what he knows to be the right thing to do. We see that Yeshua was chosen to be the leader of the Jewish people. After Moshe Rabbeinu, he was the one that led the Jewish people into the land of Israel. He was found fitting to be a leader. Because of this trait that we saw, we've seen of him in his parasha, that he was prepared to stand up against everybody else. With Moshe Rabbeinu, we also found this trait. When Moshe Rabbeinu was living in the land of um Egypt, when he was taken as a child into the house of Pharaoh, of Paro, 
And there he was brought up as an Egyptian child, honoured, living in the house of the, the, of the king. You could imagine the house of the king was a house that had everything in it. Everything you could ever imagine, everything you could ever need was there on hand. You opened the fridge and you had Coca-Cola on tap. You had all the luxuries of life, whatever it is you want, whether it's an entrecote steak or a T-bone steak, everything was there in the fridge of Paron. Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't satisfied with that. He went out to see the people. He knew he was Jewish, and he wanted to see how his people are managing, how they're they're getting along. And when he saw injustice, when he saw the Egyptian soldiers beating Jewish workers, he couldn't contain himself. He had to get involved. He saw injustice, that Jewish slaves were being beaten for no reason, and he had to get involved. And he got involved and he killed the Egyptian guard. You can imagine what would have happened if Moshe Rabbeinu had asked our politicians, what should I do? Should I get involved and stand up for what's right? Or shall I just carry on with my life in the palace? They would have all said, carry on with your life in the palace, Moshe. Why do you want to get involved in these things? There's so many injustices in the world. It's not your job to sort everything out. Just get back, go back to the palace, sit down in an armchair, have a have a a nice cocktail, relax by the pool. What do you care about what's going on? That's what the politicians would have said to Moshe. But Moshe knew that that's not what he can do. He knew that he has to stand up for what's right, just like we found with Yeshua. And he stood up and he did what he thought was right. And because of that, he was banished. But because of that, He ended up being appointed the leader of the whole Jewish people. He was fitting to be the leader of the Jewish people because someone who's prepared to risk everything to stand up for what is right is the person that is the right person to lead the Jewish people. So we see the same characteristic in Moshe Rabbeinu and in Yeshua Ben Nun. The power to stand up against the grain. The power to go against what would be considered as normal behavior in order to stand up for what's right. We find the same thing with Pinchas. In the Pasha of Pinchas, we find that Pinchas was not a Cohen. He was from the family of the Cohens, but when Aaron and all his um, following generations were appointed as Kohenim, he was already born. And it was only the coming generations that were made to be Kohenim, so Pinchas was not a Cohen. But when there was a terrible plague amongst the Jewish people, people were dying left and right. Why? Because of an immoral act 
that was being done by very, very important people. Very, very important people were acting totally immorally. And the politicians were saying, leave them alone. Don't get involved. These are powerful people. They're going to pull you down. But Pinchas said, no, I have to get involved. Something is wrong here. Something that's not right is being done. I have to stop it. There's an injustice here. And that's what made Pinchas get up and go in with a, with a spear and kill this person, this very, very important person, very well respected person that was doing an incredibly terribly immoral act in the middle of the camp, which no one else was prepared to get involved in. Everyone was just sitting around and not getting involved and dying of this plague. Pinchas was prepared to get up to go against the grain and do what's right. That's the sign of a leader. And so Pinchas also was ready to be appointed as a Kohen. The Kohenim certainly are part of the ruling, the leaders of the Jewish people. So we see three people, Yeshua ben Nun, Moshe Rabbeinu, Pinchas, each one of them was chosen to be a leader and each one of them had this special characteristic that they knew how to stand up and say and fight for what is right. In the case of Yeshua, we see even more. When Yeshua brought the Jewish people into the land of Israel, this is now the first time that the Jewish people are going to be landowners. In Egypt, they didn't own any land. So here they're now landowners, and they're going to have to live, a, live as neighbors. Came on Yeshua, and he made special enactments, special conditions on which he divided up the land of Israel to the various tribes. The ten conditions of Yeshua ben Nun. These conditions, says the Ramor, apply today. They apply today not just in Israel, but also in the diaspora, all over the world. Jews everywhere are obligated to live by the conditions that Yeshua ben Nun made. They became Torah. They became part of our Torah. Let's look at just a couple of these conditions that Yeshua made. One of the conditions was that if you have a forest in your part of the land... And I've got sheep. And of course, the grasses that are growing between your trees in the, in the thickly grown forest, they're not grasses, they're not grass that you can harvest in any way. But, so you've got no use for them really. But my sheep could go into your forest and graze. They're not going to damage your trees in any way because they're sheep. I wouldn't be allowed to move my cows in. But my sheep I could move in, and they would be allowed to eat and benefit. I will get benefit from the things that you have no use for. And that was a condition, and that's the basis really of all the conditions of Yeshua ben Nun. That in a case where your lot, one person's loss is very, very minimal, and someone else's 
opportunity to gain is very, very important, very large, that that person should give up. That's the way that neighbours can live together. Now, this isn't what we call Midat Sodom. We have a principle of Midat Sodom in the Torah. Any case of Zenene, the Zelo Chaser, Kofina Midat Sodom. So to merit, that's any situation where I, someone else can get some benefit and I'm gonna, be, I can prevent them from having that benefit. Even though I'm not going to lose anything, and I'm not going to lose anything if they have that benefit. That I have an obligation to allow them to have that benefit. But if I lose even a small amount, then I don't have any obligation anymore. Yeshua went further. And he said, even if there is a small loss, here you are actually losing the grass that's growing between the trees. Nevertheless, we're expecting you, a Jew is expected to give up on that little thing. Give up on that little amount in order to help his neighbor. In order that neighbors can live together peacefully and properly. It says in the Torah, Vasita Yeshava Tov Hashem. Says the Gemara in Masechet Baba Batra, what's Vasita Yashava Tov? That you should do what is straight and good. Says the Gemara, that's selling to your neighbor. If you've got a piece of land for sale, and your next door neighbor would like to buy it, he should have the first opportunity to buy. Here also is a situation, you're the seller is not going to lose anything. The buyer stands to gain a tremendous amount. And so you have an obligation to allow him to, 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 allow him to get that benefit. The seller is definitely going to get the top price, right? He, the neighbor's not going to get any, any, any discounts. He's going to have to pay the top price. And he's going to have to pay cash if the seller doesn't trust him. Even though he might have given credit to someone else. If he doesn't trust his neighbor, his neighbor has to bring cash. If the seller is in a real hurry to sell and his neighbor isn't moving quickly enough to raise the funds, he doesn't have an obligation to wait and lose out on the things that he needs for his neighbor. So here's the situation of and it's um, founded in the Torah in the Pasuk of an obligation on every Jew not to behave like the people of Sodom. But what I want to emphasize is that Yeshua went further. Yeshua went even further than that. When Yeshua said even where you're going to lose a little bit a little bit, I'm not asking you to lose a lot, but a little bit, something that's really not that significant to you, there's also an obligation if we're going to live as neighbors together. And that's why Yeshua ben Nun said, for example, one of his other conditions, that the tribe which got the Kinneret, the Sea of Galilee, would have to allow other people to go fishing there. If I want to go fishing on the weekends, they can't charge me money for doing that. 
But that's as long as I'm just fishing for myself. To get a few fish for, 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 for lunch or for dinner. The tribe wouldn't have had to allow trawlers to go into the Kinneret and start trawling out tons and tons of fish. That wasn't part of the condition. But what? We see that even something that is yours, even though something belongs to you, the fish certainly belong to whichever tribe owns the Kinneret. So they would have the right to stop other people from fishing there. But no, they can't. As long as it's a small loss, as long as it's just a little bit of fishing, no big deal. They have to allow other people to go there. But as again, so that's you, we see that Yeshua went even further than um, the Torah does. And he said there's something extra that we need to add in here. That's not surprising. It doesn't need to surprise us that Yeshua made a takana to go further than the Torah did. Because we find many, many instances and many, many halachot where the Torah doesn't necessarily advise us to do the best thing. The Torah is telling us not to steal, not to cheat, to be honest. But it's not telling us necessarily to do kindness. Certainly there's an obligation of doing kindness. But we all know that the halacha is that if I'm involved in something else, I don't have an obligation to do kindness right now. Let's say, for example, I'm on my way to work. And I know that if I'm late for work, my boss is going to get angry at me. My boss might take away some money from my salary. If I, if I clock in late, or if I'm a businessman, I have to be in my office by a certain time. I might get calls from customers and I might miss them if I'm not there. So if I'm on my way to work and I see someone in distress, a little old lady whose cat stuck up a tree or needs help crossing the road, do I have to stop and help her? If I see someone's lost property that needs to be returned and I could return it to them now, something, something that someone's lost, something valuable that someone's lost, do I have an obligation to stop what I'm doing and go and help them save them from their loss. The loch is I don't have an obligation. The Shulchan Aruch says even more. And in my opinion, this is probably one of the most important halachot in the whole of the Shulchan Aruch. The Shulchan Aruch says that if I see my lost property and the lost property of my father, and I can only return one of them, I can't save both of them because of the situation, my, I am not obligated to save my father's. I'm allowed to just save my own. Because, says the Shulchan Aruch, you come first. You come first. So you'd be allowed to just save your property and leave the property of your neighbor. Of your, your father even. But, says the Shulchan Aruch, if you do that all the time, then it's going to come that you come out that you never do any kindness, you never help anyone else, and that's not a good situation to be in. But the Torah doesn't obligate you to do that. But nevertheless, a good Jew is expected to do that.
so came along Yeshua and he went even a little bit further and he said, here we're going to obligate you. In certain simple cases, there is an obligation for you to give up on yours to help someone else. There was a famous case in the Israeli courts, in the secular courts, of a road that needed to be built in a particular place to help the whole community. And one of the, one of the people whose fields this needed to be going across this new road didn't want to sell. The, 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 the government or the council was prepared to pay everybody a good price for their land, but one of them said, no, I'm not prepared to sell. But it's for the good of everybody. He didn't care. I'm not going to sell. Can we make him sell? So it's certainly not Midat's done what he's doing. No one's obligating him to sell. You can't obligate him to sell according to the Torah. But maybe according to the conditions of Yeshua ben Nun, you can. Because the conditions of Yeshua ben Nun are saying that if one person can help everyone else, in a very big way, just by suffering a small loss, which is not really a loss, because he's going to get paid the value of the land and he can buy land somewhere else. Never, we can force him, it's an obligation for him to give up on his stuff, on whatever it is. And in Israel, the courts are allowed to rule like um, what they call the Mishpat Ivri, like the Torah. The judges are allowed to. They just don't really know much about it, but they are allowed to. In this particular case, there were three judges, and two of them ruled like the, like Yeshua ben Nun. That here is a case where the good of the majority, the good of the community, is that we need this road. And we're going to make this Jew give up the road. He's going to get paid the full value of the land, and he can buy land somewhere else. And we're going to make him do that. And that was fine. And they ruled like that. The third judge was a judge that didn't like this idea. He was someone that just couldn't understand how the law can allow such a thing. Because to a secular judge, either it's yours or it's not yours. There's no such thing as kindness. There's no such thing as helping someone else out. If the land belongs to this guy. Of course he doesn't have to give it up. How can you make someone sell their own property? You can't do that, said the third judge. He was actually the minority in this setting of three judges. Um, but among, in the, in the world of law, his ruling would have been understood completely that you can't take away the rights of someone to help the majority or to help other people. Even if it's just in a very, very small and minuscule way that we don't think is going to damage anyone. You can't do that. But Yeshua ben Nun said, yes, we have to do that. When he made his ten conditions. It's something we're going to have to do. Because that's the only way that neighbors can live together. If we're prepared 
to be mavata, to give up sometimes one to the other. There's a, a, a famous halacha about opening a shop next to another shop. The halacha is you're allowed to open up a shop next to another shop, even if it's selling the same things. If I've got a shoe shop, and someone else wants to open up a shoe shop right next door to me, I can't stop them by saying you're taking away my panasa. Because people will choose for themselves in which shop, which in which shoe shop they want to shop. You can't take away that choice from people. Not only that, but also everyone who lives in the town has an equal right to open up a shop wherever they like. So just like you're, you're allowed to open up a shoe shop, so am I also allowed to open up a shoe shop? You can't stop me. But what's, what about where there's only room for one? A shoe shop is not actually the best example for that. Let's say, um, a small community where there's one shop selling kosher food. So in such a community, there's only enough there's only enough people to support one small grocery store, one small super. There's not room for, for, for two. If two were to move in, if another one were to move in, it's definite that he's going to close the other one, or one of the two is going to be, have to close. They can't both function. So what about in such a case? In such a case, the great Khatam Sofer writes that in such a case, we can stop the second guy from opening up. Because here he's going to cause a definite loss. And Ramoshe Feinstein, in his Chuvot, also writes about this, that where it's clear that the second shop is going to close the first shop, then the second shop wouldn't be allowed to open up. And even if it did, they might have to pay some types of damages to the first shop for ruining their panasa. But what's going to be if the second shop is better for the community? Because, for example, it's going to have much cheaper prices. It's a branch of a large supermarket chain, which, because of its enormity, can demand cheap prices and can sell at cheap prices, something which a local grocery store can't do. So in such a case, yeah, you're right, on the one hand you're going to close down the, the, the existing grocery store, but on the other hand, it's good for the community. The community needs it. The community needs cheaper prices. So what do you do in such a situation? You need a leader to decide what to do in such a situation. There are more actually mentioned such a case. And he says that in such a case where it's for the good of the community, that you should have two, you should have, you should allow the second shop to open. Even though it's going to definitely close the first one, like in the case of a large supermarket chain, it's going to move into a small neighborhood and close down a local grocery store. In such a case, you have to allow the large shop to open because it's the good of the community, which is going to come before everything else, even though there is going to be a loss to this guy that was running the grocery store. When a case like this came up in Beidin, the decision was to um, instruct 
the supermarket chain to employ the owner of the small grocery store to be to be their manager. That was a beautiful compromise so that everyone would be okay. Every the community would be okay and this guy would be okay as well. He wouldn't lose his lose lose Panasa. His Panasa. But that decision was also in the lines of Yeshua Ben Nun. That was in the lines of Yeshua Ben Nun that there is an obligation in Jewish law for a person to give up a little bit in order to help someone else gain a lot. It's not Vasita Yeshavatov, it's not because here there is a chaser. In the cases of Yeshua, there is a chaser. Someone is losing out. But nevertheless, a Jew is expected to do that in a case where his, where his neighbor can benefit tremendously. Those were the gist of the conditions that Yeshua Ben Nun made. Um, and it's something that needs to be with us always as the Ramor, as the Ramah writes. The Rambam writes the, the, the conditions of Yeshua Ben Nun that they apply in our times as well. Not only in Israel, but also in the diaspora. Because that's the way that neighbors are supposed to live together. And to round up the Shi'ur, that's really the, the, the strength of Yeshua Ben Nun. To stand up against the grain. And to make the conditions that he made. And enforce them on the Jewish people so that we act in a special way. Because we the Jewish people... What is our purpose in life? We're supposed to be a light to the nations, we're told. By the way we act, the nations are going to learn what morality is, what good behavior is, what, to use a Yiddish word, what menschlichkeit is. To be a good person. And that's our purpose in the world, to be a light to the nations. Bezat Hashem through the strength of Yeshua Ben Nun, through the strength of Moshe Rabbeinu, Pinchas, these great leaders that we had, may we Bezrat Hashem always do the right thing and always be prepared to compromise in order to help our neighbors. Thank you. Have a good week, everybody. This audio series has been brought to you by the Sephardic Halakha Center. The center is committed to advancing research and application of Halakha in the Sephardic community nationwide. For a halachic consultation, monetary bedin services, to order this series or to sign up to receive the Sephardic Halakha Journal, or for all other information, please call 1-844-200-TSHC or email info at theshc.org to subscribe.